coffees. I remember, going, you know, I was bringing the coffee. I was bringing the coffees, and I remember the woman, Michelle's assistant, one day was like, "Can you go pick up Michelle's dry cleaning?" I said, "Yeah, of course." You know, I was like, not. This was not the millennial Gen Z days. I mean, this is what are we Gen X? So hey, what's up, everybody in the community of the Zing? We are here in Mexico City for our last podcast of the fourth season. Thank you for making the Zing with Double G your favorite podcast in all the platforms that you get your podcast and subscribing to our YouTube channel and giving so much heart and all your comments. And um, I'm here in Mexico City because I'm doing a very incredible, super exciting project with Audemars Piguet and Vogue, which you guys have to stay tuned. I'm going to tell you a little bit all about it, but we're closing 2022 with a with a a great spirit and super looking forward to 2023. I am very honored that my guest today here in Mexico City is a woman that I personally admire a lot. It's a woman worthy of admiration by all of us. If you're a Latino, if you are anybody who wants to achieve your dreams, You will be inspired, motivated, her sensitivity, her great sense of style, the way that she has uh, bring us Latin community such a honor and such a, uh, um, a value for our culture and our, fol our, our folklore and our fashion. And uh, she's the hardest working, nicest, kindest, and a total badass And she's also a socially conscious uh, human being. I'm honored to have here at the Zing today, Carla Martinez de Salas. Wow. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Salió todo en un riddle, just in one, in one <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eglantina. That was a very, very nice introduction. Yeah, but I, I, you, you deserve that and so much more, Carla. Thank you for taking the time. I know you have such a busy, busy, busy bee schedule. I'm st steering clear of my house because my two kids are sick, so... I, I get at me out of here, dude. How you? Ah, <laughs> oh, bueno. So it's a great excuse. She has to record a podcast. Very important podcast. podcast. Yes, it zing. also gets you out of some parties. Bueno, it's important because we're what? What? It's, I have it, to record a podcast. I have to leave early to do secret you Santa. Know, and I have to record a podcast. I can't stay so late. <laughs> you find uh, all your excuses to manage your time. Yes, but it's also exciting to be here with you. Today, we've known each other for a long time um, through mutual friends and this past year have spent more time together, which is exciting mm. and makes me happy because I know you do amazing charity work in Venezuela. Um, as you said, that I'm very socially conscious. You are as well. Um, you've done really great things for Venezuela. And I think a lot of us want to change the conversation about where we come from because a lot of the times there's these stereotypes that people can't get out of their head about Mexico, about mm -hmm. Latin America. And, and I think, you know, thanks to people like yourself, we see a different side of yeah. Latinos. No, uh, but I, I, I will take that. And I am very, very grateful for, for, for those words, but uh, honestly, what uh, in every aspect and, and I think that's what brings us together as friends uh, uh, and, and, and at this moment to create those conversations where other people can get inspired and be able to know and feel proud 
of of our culture, of our folklore. You lived in the U.S. all your life. Well, no, not all your life, but mostly. And me, more than half of my life. And at some point, you like you want to take your roots and 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 feel proud of them. And then people get confused, or sometimes you feel a little bit uh, neglected by because there's a there's a harsh reality that sometimes people are gonna. Uh, you know, uh, discriminate you because you're a Latino or because, like, if it was a second-class citizen. But besides that, she's changing all that conversation through all the platforms that she works in. She's the editor-in-chief of Vogue Mexico and Latin America. Besides an incredible trajectory and career that it's, the, as I said, the hardest-working woman in the industry and kindest and nicest. Carla, where did this whole thing started? Because... Your, your discipline, the passion for fashion, uh, your keeping uh, honest and true to your roots? Um, honestly, I, I was actually speaking to my sister today who was my younger sister who has been like on a plane going back and forth. And she's like, I don't know how you do it. I'm exhausted. I don't want to talk to anyone all day. I feel like you go to <laughs> events and you are socializing and you then have to come home. And I'm like, listen... For me, you I just think like you're in a great place. You're very privileged to have the job you have. You're healthy. You have, you know, family. You're, and she's like, that's not the answer a therapist would have given me. And I said, I'm not your therapist. I'm your sister. And I'm saying that's what I keep reminding myself of, yeah. right? Like, okay, I'm good. Okay, I just have to get through this week. I just have to get through this week. Or, you know, when, when you have an event, like for you, for this shoot, for example, that might make you really nervous to be on shoots. Mm -hmm. And so a few days before you're like, I just need to get to Thursday. I just need to get to Thursday. And then you get through Thursday <laughs> and you feel better. But anyway, that's not how my, I was, that was kind of what I was thinking. Like when we were saying that we were so busy, but, um, I would have to say it started, I grew up in, I actually was born in Florida in Orlando and my parents moved to the US after my dad after my they got married my, my dad went did his residency there okay and then uh, my sister and I were born in Orlando and then my brother was born in Memphis and then we moved to El Paso finally like finally when you guys he, moved a lot yeah when he got a job um like a like as a <laughs> but he didn't have a job before <laughs> uh, I know I was asking my mom that the other day because um we were in Memphis visiting my aunt and I was saying like when my dad did his specialty, what, how did you live? Like what, how, how did you make money? Like money. Right. And when you're doing your residency, you're making very little money. And she said, you know, that is like we, you, you worked and you did your, your fellowships or your like specialties at the same time. And so, um, he finished that and, you know, doctors go to school forever um, so he finished that, I think, like in the early 80s. And we moved to El Paso when I was in, uh, I think, seven or eight. Um, and I lived there until I went to college. And it's funny because El Paso is one of those places that you obviously do not think of fashion when you think of now everyone thinks all. of Marfa. Well, right. But still very far from fashion. But there was like a cool kind of underground indie scene like I feel like we all like Depeche Mode in fourth grade True. and like Susie and the Banshees and like all these like kind of alternative bands and 
I remember my mom used to always look at Ola and I and you say, oh, look at so and so's dressed in like this Chanel suit. And like my mom would never, <laughs> ever, ever even dream of buying, you know, a blouse that's two hundred dollars. But like she loved looking at the fashion. And I don't think she knew that she was creating like a little monster in me because I would love to see these ladies and these women and like the way they projected themselves when they wore clothes. And I remember once we went to buy sneakers and they were strawberry shortcake and we were leading for the mall and I didn't want them to get dirty because we didn't, she didn't take us to buy things very often. Like we didn't, my dad was not making a, a you know, well, he got a very low salary. So uh, in his kind of fellowships and, and specialties. And so I remember I would take my finger and clean the shoe. Oh, and my mom was like, what are you doing? And I was said, oh, I don't want my shoes to get dirty. She goes, clothes is meant to be worn and shoes are meant to be walked in and it's going to happen. And, you know, you'll get new ones in the, in due course, you know. And that's when I remember, like, feeling, like, how special it was to, like, have something that you love and make makes you feel good. And then I, you know, in kind of middle school, elementary, I have to say, like, people in Juarez – we had a lot of, we, El Paso is very bicultural. So you had girls from Juarez. I went to an all girls school and you had girls from Juarez coming, um, like Vanessa mm -hmm. and Tatiana, um, that would come to school in, in Mexico, in El Paso. And then they would go back to, to Mexico at the end of the day. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And I think it like really helped like enrich in kind of my culture and my experience growing up. And, all the girls from Juarez were also really interested in fashion. So that's kind of where I remember, like, I remember just always being aware of loving what I wore, mm. even though don't you look back at sometimes pictures and like, why was I wearing why that? Wearing why were my bangs like, yeah, the remember with the bangs <laughs> when, and like, I have curly hair. So like bangs, no, and not no, not for me. And I remember kind of like one time getting these bangs and you would have to use the, the round brush <laughs> to oh kind of God. dry. Remember those brushes or the, and thank God you have a kind of a good weather in the desert. Because yes. Otherwise exactly. it was in Florida. No, 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 no. That's, that would not be possible. But, um, I remember, yeah, obviously there are so many mistakes made along the way. Right. But I really felt like I love, I knew that I wanted to do something in fashion. And I feel like back in the nineties, you thought of fashion of maybe like working at a store or being a buyer or, you know, being the editor of a magazine. Was there ever in your dreams or your thoughts? So, being yeah. And I didn't know how big the fashion industry was. So I graduated high school in 1995 And I went to the University of Arizona in Tucson because yes. I didn't want to go to, te I didn't want to stay in Texas. I kind of feel like El Paso's always been like the, oh, you're from El Paso? Like the people from Dallas or Houston. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm from El Paso. And they're like, oh, I've never been there. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, like everyone had this like. You live in Miami? Yeah. Like super oh snobby attitude See. about, and you're like, my parents chose to live here. I didn't choose to, you know, where <laughs> I grew boss. up. And, um, and so I wanted to go to school in Tucson and I went and I went with a, like a friend of mine from El Paso that was there too. And I joined a sorority, which mm -hmm. is funny. Um, because it, 
it's such a big school, you know, these like, I don't know where you went to college, but in the US, you know, you have these like big kind of campuses like University of Arizona, University of Texas, where you have like a thousand people in your class. And like my roommate was like a junior that Wow. I had nothing in common with. She was like valid base. She graduated valedictorian. Yeah. Like when she graduated and not that I was, you know, not smart, but I feel like she was just like very like less party oriented than me, I okay. would say. Um, and so I found it like a good way to like meet, make friends and like make a nice community and it's interesting because I joined a Jewish sorority a, a predominantly Jewish sorority because I felt like I had so much more in common with those You're girls <laughs> than anyone else like than with the other like American girls from like no one really looked like me in the sororities what no one that you had in common with the Jewish sorority well maybe I maybe I felt I think it was because you know, not everyone was blonde and like you had like the girls from Kappa Kappa Gamma that were literally all blonde or like, you know, light brown hair, blue eyes, like very American looking, not like yeah. a brown Mexican girl. And so um, I always and and I'm, I still have really great friends from that sorority. And I just felt like I had much more in common just in terms of like family life and like fashion forwardness and 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 they really like the girls from New York were the girls that I really gravitated towards from because they like loved you know Prada bags and you know and all these like fun and... things and and um I don't know and it, it was a really great experience to be like to kind of go through the rush process which I don't know if you know anything about but like you basically are doing interviews and it kind of helps you for later on in life when you have to do work interviews mm. and like people are looking at you and judging you and like okay here's this girl from like Mexican-American which I really consider myself have always felt like I'm both and but I really look Mexican and it was really interesting like it was a very interesting learning process that I think helped me later on. And I made like good friends, but also good contacts. And a lot of those girls were like, okay, what are you doing this summer? You have to come intern in New York. And a friend of mine was like, I'm going to intern in New York. My mom got me an internship. And I was like, my, your mom? Well, what am I, I can't ask my dad. Like I'm going to be like filing, you know. Maybe he should move to the New York Presbyterian. Yeah, and maybe you should. Dad, move to New York. Exactly. But um, I then started calling like magazines, like and started calling brands. And this girl picked up at, for that in a Narciso Rodriguez ad. Said like, please call so-and-so for more information. Not job related. And so I, she said, oh, hi, um, you know, how can I help you? And I was like, oh, I'm a student at the University of Arizona and I'm looking for an internship. I mean, this was 1997. Wow. So, and then she said to me. There was not even email back then. No. Yeah. No, barely. Hotmail. Barely. It was like AOL. you had to go to the, the computer science, science. center yeah. like to, to get on an email. And um, she said to me, I'm from Tucson. That's so great. I've, I'm so happy that like someone from Tucson called and I was like, oh, thanks. And she said, can you come up for an interview? And I was like, of course I can come up for an interview. And my mom was like, ¿A dónde vas? 
what <laughs> you know like my mom is like from a small You're town age. <laughs> they're gonna rape you she called my she called my um like her friend from orlando's daughter and was like can carla stay on your sofa for two nights i mean it was yeah. probably so embarrassing oh, um but I'll always remember that studio apartment that I stayed in with this like young couple that were living together. Like I still, I've known them all my life, but like I'm grateful that they let me crash on their sofa. And um, I stayed there and I got the job. And then one of my best they friends. They paid you? Huh? They were, it's a paid job or not a paid Isn't job? Isn't that like a small stipend? And my dad said I could go for a month right. and see like if I got more. school credit. Okay. And, um, a friend of mine and I like rented this like little mouse infested apartment on 80th between park and Nasty. like Madison, like on a beautiful block, but there was, it Thanks was Harlem. clearly there. No, 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 it wasn't. It was on 80th street. And, um, and I remember it being this like old brownstone and he rented like one bedroom apartments that were tiny, yeah. but like they were like so old and there were ma mice everywhere. And, um, but it was just the like a really great experience. And that's when I knew that I wanted to be. So I interned at this sales showroom called AFA that was like at that point, at that moment owned Narciso, Jean-Paul Gaultier, Moschino, Alberta Ferretti and um, Philosophy. By mm -hmm. Alberta, and one more band that I can't remember right now. But and is, there was a woman that ran it, Michelle Stein, who is the president. She's actually retiring next year, but she's been the president since then and so many of my friends have worked there also and learned everything they knew about like sales and PR through her um and ever since then I was like okay I want to live in New York and I want to work in fashion that, that was, was a very long answer sorry no why would you be sorry this is an <laughs> incredible story because everything that 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 um that leads you to the struggle and to the dream and 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 finding the highways to together from a sorority from matching um, to girls that that you know that were related to you, and I'm sure you will dress them up and 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 create fashion little stories, but um, but also that it's what I what I think it's in super interesting about you is the the hardworking the little rocks you started working there and were you as soon as you got in there besides living in a in a in a little apartment full of mices were you in an office with a computer or you were bringing the coffee bringing the copies i remember going, you know i was bringing the coffee i was bringing the copies and i remember the woman michelle's assistant one day was like can you go pick up michelle's dry cleaning i said yeah of course you know i was like not This was not the millennial Gen Z days. I mean, this is, what are we, Gen But X? It still happens, are and I Gen, think... Are we Gen X? No sé. Yo, ¿Qué soy? Gen K? Mille we're not millennials. 1981. 81. 81. 81. Bueno, whatever. I forget. This, what generation are we? 81? Millennials? No, no, no. I'm, no we're we're way before. See, what's before? Gen... Bueno, Gen, Gen Z, millennials. But what do you think? They have more, much more humbleness to. No, no, no. No, the boomers, boomers are, are in the 60s. Eh? No, no, no. <laughs> We're tampoco. not boomers. <laughs> if so, we look fantastic. Uh, yes, if we are. If so, we made a trade with the devil. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I think there was the struggle and the hard work that we put on that you will be able to say yes to anything. 
to be able to achieve the job and the opposition you have today because think like my nephew he thinks that tomorrow you know I'm going to be a billionaire and or whoever like if it's something that it's with a snap of a finger and and the w the best thing is that you enjoy every single process of it from living in the little mice field little apartment in 80th and Madison to bringing the coffee, to picking up the dry cleaning. Oh, so then I brought the dry cleaning and Michelle, I said, oh, here's your dry cleaning. And she said, you got the who sent you to pick up my dry cleaning? And I was like, you know, she's like red hair, tall woman, <laughs> like very chic. And I said, oh, your assistant asked me, but you know, is everything okay? And she was like, you know, you are here to learn and picking up my dry cleaning is not learning. And I said, it's, totally fine you know i'm i'm here to help anything of like being outside of tucson or el paso like walking <laughs> a few blocks and like being inspired by like the people on the street is learning and she said well never pick up my dry cleaning again they can pick it up for me so she was very like you know made sure that i was there to learn like i was in the sales part and that way that was like okay i don't want to be in sales and you were graduated already no this was in sophomore before junior year And then the moment came in that summer that this editor came in and they were like, Carla, there's no one in PR today. Can you help this woman from W Magazine? She needs to pull samples for a shoot. Like my eyes glowed up and I was like, someone has this job. And I met her and she was like, I'm here. We're pulling for this shoot and I need red pieces. Can you help me? And I was like, Of course, I can help you. You know, I wanted to like, I was so excited. So the next, I said, yeah, I was asking her, I'm like, what's, is this your job? Like, what did she was telling me? She's like, well, I work with the stylist and I help them pull clothes for the shoots. And this is part of my job. It's called the market editor. And I was like, well, do you guys take interns? And they said, yes, you know, email the HR person. So of course, the following summer, I was like, hi, I'm really interested. I like cold called W and I was like, um, do you take interns? And she's like, yeah, of course. Um, you know, send your resume. And I went up for an interview and this woman, this HR woman um, interviewed me. Her name's Stella Angelakos. And I still talk to her. She, now she runs, she's, she's Greek and she runs like an olive oil company yeah. in New York. But like, then she was like, when you graduate, let me know. And if you move to New York, like I'll help you. And she actually helped me find my first job in New York later, but we've always kept in touch. So that's always Like the fact that she kind of made a point to like make sure that I contacted her again because, you know, there weren't Instagram DMs no, where you could like follow to up. Create that, to create those connections and to yeah. have those people. I also, I, I always think people, you know, they talk a lot about second opportunities, but I believe mostly in that first opportunity, in that first person that believes in you, that sees that thrive, that, that, that will that you're trying, that you want to do, that talent that you have. And I think all of them saw that on you and you went from, you know, those internships to getting a job in W Magazine and Vogue and, and maybe all the stories you're telling, you probably are filled with all the stories, but it's what takes her to be now one of the most important persons in the fashion world that actually, not only because of the title you have, because the work that it's behind, but I'm really curious If you remember the day that you got the news, the invitation to be the editor-in-chief of Vogue Mexico and Vogue Latin America. Yes. The biggest magazine, Vogue, Vogue. <laughs> It's you funny know. because so, um, 
when I moved to Mexico in 2000, I, when I knew I was moving in 2014, um, Lázaro Hernández from Parenza School, I was like, oh, great. You'll just be the editor of Vogue Mexico. And I was like, oh, yeah, Lázaro, that's Lázaro. really easy, you know? <laughs> and he's like, you can do it. And, you know, Kelly was in the job at the time, which I'm sure you know. And, you know, um, Edward, I was working for Edward Edenfull. And I told him in September, Edward, I'm moving in January. And in November, he goes, oh, Carla, I already called Jonathan. And he's going to, you know, see if there's any openings. And I was like, well, I don't think Kelly's moving. So, you know, maybe I can help do stuff or collaborate. Literally, like Edward told me this on Friday. And like Saturday, I had an email from Eva saying, you know, Jonathan emailed me. Um, let's meet. I'm super excited that you're coming. Let me see how, you know, what positions are open and so you know we talked a lot and like I collaborated a bit on on like the beginning of Vanity Fair and such and and to be honest in 2015 I got pregnant and I still had my brand with my friend Ceci de Sola who I think you know Piamita and so 2015 I was doing some freelance so I wasn't like stressed about a job and then in August Eva emailed me and she's like can we have lunch? And I was like, sure. And, um, you know, it's always nice to see her. I've known her forever, um, through a friend and obviously really admire her and, and how, you know, she was one of the first people that brought Vogue here and launching the magazine here. And, um, She's a friend, uh, and only, not only Vogue, it was Condé Nast. Yeah, yeah, G- Condé Nast, G- GQ, Vogue, Vanity yes. Fair, and um, so we went to lunch, and she said, "You know, you're going to get a call. Um, we want to interview you for a position." It was very cryptic, and I was like, <laughs> "Okay." And she said, "Someone from my office will contact you." So um, they contacted me a few months later, and th- like weeks later, and they said I was, I guess, like six months pregnant. Seven months? I don't know. I'm trying to she almost gave think in terms of weeks. Thank you. Remember the moment. And um, they said, Javier Pascual, who was the general manager at the time mm-hmm. for Spain and Mexico, said, um, would like to see you on the week of November 23rd. And I said, that's the week I'm supposed to give birth. But if I, if I haven't given birth, well, I'm, you know, it depends where I am. I, you know, I would love to see you. Um, and so my girls came like three weeks earlier. So they came November 6th. So November 23rd, I was ready to, for an interview. <laughs> and I remember being like, Oh my God, what am I going to wear? Nothing fits. I had just given birth to twins. And, um, I had got this done this p- trunk show for Peter Piloto, the yeah. designers. And I had this Love skirt it. and I couldn't zip up the skirt in the back. So, um, a friend like, like it was like just don't move don't make any abrupt movements and put this sweater on and don't take it off so I wore like a long coat and a shirt and I interviewed with Javier and he said you know there's a job coming up like tell me about so he basically interviewed me but I didn't know what I was interviewing for um and then a few months passed by and Eva texted me and was like can you come to my office January and I said sure and I went to her office and she said so I know you weren't expecting this and I know you've been talking to Javier and, you know, I'm sorry that we haven't been very kind of transparent about what the job is, but Kelly's moving to Colombia to get, mar- get married and start her family. And we want you to be the editor in chief. And I was like, oh my God, Lazaro, you, <laughs> you kind of manifested. manifested this for me. And, um, and I, she's like, what do you think? And I was like, Yes. yes. 
And then, uh, so we moved to Mexico because my husband got a job with a Brazilian bank to start the Brazilian bank here. Mm -hmm. And he kind of came like almost a year before me because I was, I was scared to move here. I didn't grow up here. I didn't know a lot of people here. And, um, I, I came to Mexico my whole life, but I never actually lived here. Yeah. And so um, I get signed my contract. And two weeks later, he's like, I have bad news. I'm like, what? He's like, they're closing the bank. They're, they don't want to they don't want to move forward with the project. Oh, and no. he was obviously devastated. And I was like, what are we going to do? And he said, well, you just signed a contract. And, you know, I think it's only fair that you moved here for me. And now I give you the chance to you know, go after the job of your dream. So I'll find a job here. And, and it actually helped him to start something that he wouldn't have started in New York anyway. So I always, I always say that because, you know, when, when people ask like advice on relationships and, um, work life balance, I always say like, look for someone that's your partner, but like supports you, supports you and, and it's not just about them and helps you weigh out, you know, gives you a chance to kind of fly and not just them because we come from a very macho society totally. where, you know, women are supposed to do whatever the men, whatever does. the men tell them to do. And so um, that obviously was really great that he said, you know, Bravo for the husband. Yeah. <laughs> Bravo for the husband. And that's a great thing because I think only not because of, of the match of society, but people think that sometimes for love you should give everything up and you move to places and leave your jobs or your dreams or whatever just to follow the person who, you know, seems to be the one who's providing. But um, but then you, at the end, you don't end up uh, being like, I do everything for love. At the end, you just give it a lot of regrets and a lot of resentment that comes out into and relationships fail. So I'm very happy that that's the story. I didn't know that that's how it happened. Yeah. And now he's doing great here. Yeah, yeah. And now he's doing great. Beautiful twins. I mean, it. yeah, I have twin girls. They're, they I just turned the seven. Story of the story of like the girls going on the plane going like, mom, where are we waiting for the plane or something? <laughs> oh, they were mad because we had to connect. Because uh, they like never, you know, <laughs> we go to Miami, we go to Juarez, we go to like Dallas. No connections. But LA. to Acapulco, they have to get connections <laughs> <laughs> they got we went skiing and 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 we had to connect in houston and they were like no i don't want to connect <laughs> and i was like the direct flight was really expensive you know but um so that's so yeah so i got the job and i started in may 2016 when they were okay. six months old 2016 wow yeah wow 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 listen uh, Carla, you've always been a trailblazer. She started in 2016, and we're going to talk about the era that she gets into the most important fashion magazine. But um, as she started as well, she always been a trailblazer in many aspects, creating a lot of, you know, bringing new things to, to people. But then she put on the first cover of the most important fashion magazine, uh, an indigenous women... Yalitza Aparicio. Aparicio in the cover of Vogue. So how and why did you have the balls to do that? In, did you you ever... know, like, 
when I when one of the girls who now works at Netflix, who was the editor at the time, said to me, oh, you know, they're offering me Yalitza for the cover. And I was like, Regina, how are we going to put Yalitza on Aparicio? Who even knows who she is? I'm going to get fired because we're going to sell no uh-huh. copies. It didn't for one minute occur to me because she was indigenous that we wouldn't sell. It was no more because her. no one really knew her. Okay. And, you know, people... You wanted the cover. Want You know, there's a reason why Jennifer Aniston has been on, you know, so many covers and and um then we saw the movie and it was really great and powerful and i went to new york like a few weeks later and i saw a friend of mine who works as an entertainment editor and she said to me um what are you doing with roma and i said um you know we're thinking of doing something like in front of book and shooting a few of the actresses maybe doing a cover and she goes oh you would never do a cover with yalitza and I, she didn't say why I wouldn't do it in a cover with Elitza, but I know why she said it. Mm. And it why? kind of really like, like I thought to myself, well, how does this woman know, begin to think that she knows about m- my Vogue and, mm. you know, Vogue and what Mexicans are looking for in terms of content. And so I called Regina that night and I was like, Put Yalita on an exclusive through December. We're doing her for the cover. And I was like, this is, it's so important. And I really was conscious about like having a Mexican team doing it. And um, I never, I'm, I don't, I love obviously like fashion fantasy. And, you know, I worked at Vogue and love Grace Coddington and those kind of you know, Natalia Vodianova in the box by Helmut Lang. But I don't like when celebrity, when the clothes wear celebrities, I feel like it's very obvious. And so with Yalitza, I was one of her first shoots and I really wanted to make sure that she felt comfortable and that it was very authentic. And, um, I think the team that did it, Santiago Sierra and Pamela Ocampo, they did a great job of really like representing her in a way that was very true to herself. And, when the cover came out, it was just like nothing I had ever experienced. Like messages, letters, articles, interviews. I mean, she was everywhere. And, you know, there was a video that she did and talked about this journey for her Mm. and about being on the cover. And it was just so powerful. And I remember my friend, um, Audrey, who was like, who's my best friend from growing up in El Paso said to me, sent me a message and said, said, thank you for putting someone that looks like me on the cover. And that comment is like something I'll never forget because as I said, growing up in El Paso, yes, there were more girls that looked like me. But even when I went four hours away to Tucson, there weren't people that looked Mm -hmm. like me and there weren't people that looked like my friend Audrey. And like, certainly there were no people that looked like me on a cover, you know, maybe Salma once in, in you know she was a real tra- trailblazer i think even kim kardashian referenced salma in an interview recently is salma being like the one the one that was like okay you know someone brown someone voluptuous someone you know that isn't was- kind of the stereotypical person that and then you would come to mexico and guess who was on the cover the same european looking women that yeah so that was a an important step and i I mean, I don't say this like in an arrogant way, but I do think that it it was it really was a before and after, not just for Vogue, but for the in the 
at least in Mexico, the beauty and fashion industry. And your vision and your input in in being the leader of of such an important magazine that, as always, directs or dictates what the beauty standards are and how you are widening those beauty standards and how you are actually making reference with a lot of uh, of um, proudness and worthy of of having the acclamation for our culture and our folklore and how we look and how diverse we are. So uh, it, nobody had like I don't know if you ever had a backlash on that cover, but as 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 far as I think, did everybody somebody called you up and says like you're gonna be fired? And no, no, but I success. do remember that the the issue the person I worked with at, for at the time said to me, "You need to have a plan B because I need to, I'm gonna present this, and you need to have a plan B." And I said, "No, no, no, there's no plan B. Oh, this wow. is the picture. This is the celebrity. There's nothing else." And You know, you I feel like job. I like I I I mean I don't say this like in a positive way, but sometimes I feel like, you know, in our countries in Venezuela, I'm sure it happens. People are very, they say they're not racist, but they're classist, right? Super. And they, they, there's a lot of colorism that exists that I think people are uncomfortable talking about mm. here, and. Yes, there was certainly people that like, ay, la mona la visten de seda, you know. Like, ni que mona, ni que mona, mona se vista de seda, mona se queda. Yes, and like just really mean and hateful comments, but they were very few and far between the the outpour of positive comments. So that kind mm -hmm. of made up for them. But I don't know if you remember, it, but around the same time she came out in Vanity Fair and she got some really hateful comments. And I was like, why are people so angry? What is and even like this year, Still. I I feel like this year they're like, what does Yalitza even do? You know why is she why is she wearing Prada? Why is Prada dressing her? And you're like, first of all, she won an Oscar. She <laughs> she with the, I think she, I can't remember the, the movie won an Oscar. She was nominated, but then you know she even told me it took me a year to digest this you Cold know experience. role and what had happened with my life because I was a teacher and then I became a actress and by default a celebrity and then COVID happened and like everything stood still so she was working on more projects and I'm like guys she produced stuff she's did things at, you know this year things that that are coming out and like people were like Nacho nada, you know, and just like calm down she has we were just it just came out of a pandemic where like things were put on hold but like that resentment of Why is so and so loaning her clothes? Why is she out everywhere? But it's like, it's instead of like bringing her up and giving her the recognition that she deserves and really inspiring women, indigenous women in, in Mexico, not just in Mexico, but around yeah, Latin America. And, and around, but they don't, I don't know, maybe it's, but I don't know if, I don't think they've done it with Gael. I don't think they've done it with no, Diego. of course not. I don't think they've done it with anybody, but I think there's, there's, there's so much tougher uh, among women. And uh, even, you know, you have African actors, they've, they've, they have all the recognition. It's like, oh my God, look at Ebras, he's amazing and blah, blah. But, um, why, and what you do with, with, um, with the narrative and the and the issues you promote it's i think it enhances and brings to that culture and gives women that that sense of uh, belonging and that power that they need to be unique and different and all all in all our 
or all our facets, no, or different upbringings and different stages. I think we live exactly how you were saying, like we live in such a diverse region that, you know, and we're covering like most people don't even know that there's a Latin America issue. And they're like, Oh, why isn't it the same one? Like, because Mexico Uh is very big on, you know, a very big country and Latin America is huge. And, you know, we have a lot of similarities, but we have a lot of differences in starting by the weather, you know, and there was, you know, the Caribbean and you're here in the desert and then you have Argentina by the Patagonia and they all think it's like, and basically because the American culture has put us like everything is Mexican. Yes. And then the Brazilians stand out on their own and then the rest is just like, whatever. Venezuelans, who knows about Venezuela? Exactly. Simón Bolívar, come on, people, the liberator. (laughs) And no, and even like with Brazil, they're like, why don't you, why don't you do Vogue Brazil? I'm like, because I'm not Portuguese. I don't speak Portuguese, you know, and I'm not from Brazil. And let's let's promote her to do Vogue. Yeah, I know, but it's very, you know, it's the cultural differences are, you know, I feel like. I feel like what unites us all is this sense of um, family and closeness and cheerfulness, alegre. Yeah. You know, we're very joyful. We're very joyful people. We're, I think we're optimists because life in, in a lot of our countries isn't easy and sometimes we're plagued by, you know, corruption. But yet, People are positive if you think about it. You True. know, it's it. They people surpass are, the challenges with. Uh, there's challenges, but people, I think, are very optimistic. You know, it's like when life gives you lemons, you know, make, lemonade, make lemonade. And and I feel like really in Latin America that happens. Like this happens, and they they'll pivot to something else. And but then obviously we're very different culturally because of you know the by nature. You know, Mexico is very different from Argentina and Chile by you know the way in which each country was founded, right? And and how, but we have this great artisan, rich history in all of our countries. Um, I feel like we've been doing slow fashion before anybody else. And, you know, I always say that, like, you could do an issue on just Colombia, on just one region per month in Colombia, and or Guajira, in Venezuela, you know. We recently did an amazing fashion shoot in Venezuela with a Venezuelan team that went to Los Roques and Caracas. And at first I was a little nervous because I said, you know, I don't exactly because you hear such negative things about Venezuela, you know, are they going to think like, oh, you know, we're doing like a superfluous fashion shoot in the middle of Venezuela when they're, you know, when a lot of people are struggling. struggling. But I have to say it's one of the things that got best engagement this year. People were so excited to see, you, you know, Venezuela. No, unfortunately, oh, Venezuelan yeah, models to see like the beautiful beaches to bring fashion and, you know, to just really show kind of the, the beauty of the country. It was inspired by a shoot that, um, Vogue Italy did in the 1970s with Laura Alvarez. See, and no, but that wasn't on the seventies. Laura was in the nineties. In the 90s, not the Which 70s. Which one was the lady? Eh, Laura Alvarez. Her 80s? Eh, la, bueno, Laura, no, Laura Alvarez. I, no, she was not in the 70s. There was, mira, Caracas. Pierre Paolo, I'm going to tell Pierre you. Pierre Paolo, claro, she's the wife of Enrique Palacios. And Enrique was the the face of Hugo Boss forever. But Caracas, the Christian Dior, eh, all the big houses had 
New York, Paris, not Caracas. It wasn't even Sao Paulo. No, Laura Alvarez, shot by Gianpaolo Barbieri in Vogue, Italia, 1976. Oh, wow. Yeah. 76. Okay. So we were in, they were inspired la, by la the Orquidia. shoot. And... Um, is that new or that's the old one? This is the old picture. And then, you know, we did a version, you know, with with Venezuela. It's with paradise. women I from, from different with women from people from so many different so many a representation of different Venezuelan women. You know, back in the 70s, Venezuela was in a, a, a thriving country because the, you know, besides the touristic place, the geographical, geographical position that is so uh, blessed, you know, it's a north part of South America, it's three hours from the United States, it's six hours from Europe, but there was so many talented people and you had the boom of the oil that it was so much money, but you had the Marcos Pérez Jiménez, which he was a dictator, but he emphasized on the architecture, on the development of the country, and in being like a tough aunt, no, things worked. Maybe there were, you know, right. injustices happening, but the country was thriving. There was no inflation. Everybody, there was total security. And, um, well, like in life, sometimes there's a little bit of luck and things turn around. And, uh, and then we became a country that was divided by the corruption and people wanting social change. And now we're, I think we're getting to find ways of how to to connect to really our roots and our culture and leave aside the whole uh, differences of, of, of politics and, and try to make the best of, of our talent and of that beautiful country that we have. So thank you for going to Venezuela. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send I it to you. I wish you can come with me it was in the, very soon. It was in the November issue. But, but yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I feel like we find the good where there's bad you know you, we, do, you do that and, and fashion sometimes it's like i, I it has this um, reputation of being kind of a bitchy kind of industry of cold and superficial how has you been your experience because i want to know from your i mean i think it's certainly been you know when i first started working i started um i lived in paris after i graduated for a year and um then i worked at for nina garcia at, uh, first i worked at mademoiselle the, with the woman that helped me at W yes, to get my job, got me my job, and then or helped me get my job and recommended me, and then I worked for Nina Garcia, who was also one of the first Latinas um, to be the editor of, of um, L. Have you ever you ever met Maria Luisa Pumayu? No, never met her. Maria Luisa from the Paris. Yes, yes, she's my aunt. So when it was in, in God, God have her. God, God, God. May um, she rest in peace. May she rest in peace. I. Actually, when I lived in Paris, I would go into her store way too much. I obviously couldn't afford it. And all the money I got paid, I would like save up and buy. <laughs> Remember, I bought like a McQueen cutout jacket there. Yeah. Like I have a McQueen skirt, like a tweed skirt that I will never sell. I, every time I look at it, I'm like, should I send it to resell? No, because it was also the skirt that she there. I discovered Olivia Teskins there, the designer. Yes. She was like, no, Olivia, uh -huh. Why not was just the pioneer for Venezuela, but I think for the fashion industry as a whole for this like Antwerp school. And yeah. um, she was really, amazing. I was way too little to really understand what she did. And she was beautiful. Super. Yeah. Very French. They moved out of Venezuela at a very young age. And uh, her mother was my godmother. is my aunt's uh, cousin. I have a lot of love for her. Carolina Irving is yeah. her sister. And... Uh, and, uh, oh, I didn't know Carolina Irving was her sister. I yeah, just met her this summer. Yeah, Carolina is my aunt. 
and uh, Alicita, who has an incredible restaurant, Ferdi. Ah, uh, okay. Of, of, um, Now it all makes sense. View Montabor. So I grew up in those little things, but I didn't know exactly what Maria Luisa did. But I just knew that there was. I remember seeing Galliano there. I have a, yeah. shirt, a jacket of this when he wasn't. McQueen, uh, Galliano, Olivia Tescans, uh, and the Milamister. I remember I bought a T-shirt there. Rico. Yeah. I mean, she really had the best store. I remember. I'll never forget that. It was that a little thing. Block. So I don't yeah, know yeah. what she did really. What was it that she did? She just she had really like did. the like a really amazing eye and I think before you know the Dover streets the Colettes she was believed in those like the Japanese designers the Belgians the Antwerp the, like she really took a chance on these young people I that I bought a pair of Pierre Hardy shoes there that I See, wore to my first interview at Vogue with Anna Wintour he gave me a bunch of shoes the other day he's like Maria Luisa remember you did a girl and Like yeah, best shoes ever. I was like, okay. and I still have the <laughs> shoes in my closet, um, and I won't, you know, partly because they, they because I wore them to my interview at Vogue. But I remember her every day. Maybe she's not as famous as you know uh, any other like designer or things like that. But what she did, she did it with so much passion. Yeah. And uh, and I don't know, if, but um, it seems I, it made me seem at the at the fashion world with so much curiosity and so much interest, and that's why I wonder because much people will say it's superficial, it's this, it's cold, and no, I don't think I you, mean, and you're nice and you bring this. I think seem, it, it seems similar to what you're doing, and I want you to talk about Spacio Vogue, but I just want to know I think what's your take. It on is. It. I mean, it is uh, not the easiest industry. I will say, you know, I think I was excited to be working in Paris. I was excited to be working at Vogue. So I always kind of approach things. And, you know, my dad was a heart surgeon and, and said, you know, I had to work double because everyone saw this like Mexican man that, you know, when we moved to El Paso and he went, his, the partner that he interviewed with was a loved carpentry on the side and built houses in addition to being a, doc a doctor. <laughs> doctor. And he, when my dad went arrived, he asked him if he was there for the carpenter position. And my dad said, no, I'm here to interview to be your partner. I'm going to carpenter your heart. And <laughs> going to nail <laughs> your heart. heart. <laughs> um, but my dad said, you know, you are going to have to work really hard because you're a child of an immigrant. You are, and I was privileged in that my yeah. dad was a doctor. So yes, he could afford I could afford to live in New York because New York's expensive and help them help me pay my rent. And, and, you know, at least for the first yeah. couple of years when my dad passed away, my mom was like, no, 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 That's this it. is over. But, you know, because it's a it's a tough industry and it's an industry that doesn't pay well in the beginning. Mm. So I think that's why you I think they're working to change because a lot of, you know, young Latinos can't afford to live there you know it was kind of a certain type of girl that that that, that worked there you know that it could afford to live in manhattan that could afford to you know the wear beautiful too. clothes and and blah 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 or was like the son of somebody or went to a very fancy school there's also luisana who was wonderful my, and my dear friend Gonzalez, that we overlapped um for many years but i made some really great friends so you work with luisana like luisana time? yeah yeah She was Anna's assistant. Yeah. And I made really great friends that I'm still good friends with. And I think the peers. But yeah, I think the social pressures are hard. I think, you know, you're expected to look good mm -hmm. all the time. You're 
kind of in the eye of of the storm all the time. You know, you're going to Fashion Week. I remember my first Fashion Week um, (laughs) where I traveled. You know, you're like, "Uh, what bag am I going to take? You know, I don't have a fancy bag. I don't have a... This was before street style. There were like a few photographers taking pictures of people, but like there was pressure. There was a lot of pressure. And that I feel like is what you can get your head wrapped in. Right. Uh, I was an ambassador for Mercedes Benz uh, fashion week and they, they bought the old fashion week. So they sent me to cover back. It's starting the digital part, uh, all the fashion shows and a makeup artist, which is Lebanese came with me. She's from Miami. She, at some point in London, it was in Paris. She's like, oh, I hate this. In this world, nobody looks at you. Everybody in Miami looks at my body and my tits and my ass. Here, they're only looking what I'm wearing and they turn, they roll their eyes <laughs> because she was like wearing it's so tights or something. Yeah, like, exactly. She's like, I'm, it's I'm just, sexy. They're making my self-confidence so exactly. confident. It's just go like this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, I think it's a, it's a tough industry. And I feel like when I started... You know, I talk about this with like Ana Maria Pimentel, who I don't know if you knew, you know, she's from Dominican Republic. She worked with me at L and like at L, like there were, you know, me, Nina, Ana Maria and at Vogue, there was Luisana and there were like a few other girls, but you still didn't see your like myself reflected in the magazine. There were very few, you know, African-American women working in the industry at the time and that's changed and I think that's a good thing but yeah I think it's it's a tough industry you know but is it about the style or the shoes that you're wearing or the bag that you're wearing or is it how you put it together I think it's how you put it together okay right and I think it's a I always say that I don't know if you know the a friend of mine he's a photographer his name is Raul Tobar and you know we talk a lot about how the industry works you know for you know because there's the fashion editors, the stylists, the photographers, the hair and makeup, you know, and like Raul always says, you know, I'm asking for this model and they say, which models have you shot? And he's like, well, not many because you won't give them to me, you know? So it's like this, this cycle of like, you really have to be a perseverant person to work in fashion mm-hmm. because you get a lot of door shut in your face. And that is part of, I think that is part, a lot of working in, in, in magazines. I mean, even when I first started at Vogue, you would approach photographers and like, you're not, I'm not interested in working with you. Or I remember once like three years ago, we did a cover with four, five Afro Latina, Afro Dominicanas, all beautiful girls, like one more gorgeous than the next, all six, five of them had been in the Valentino show, you know, a few months before. And I actually got uh, an answer from a photographer female Latina origin and she said that she wasn't feeling the casting that she would prefer this girl and I said well that's not I don't I don't really care what you prefer <laughs> not feeling yeah I'm not of... feeling the casting and we get a lot of pushback I mean we get a lot of pushback from brands still that say I'm not interested in this celebrity I'm not I don't we don't want to work with her And there's no reason it's kind of, I think the brands have gotten better. And now that they see how important each region is, it, they're, they're looking for more local talent to work with, which I think is important. And I remember once a few years ago, I had, I had been in the job for like two years and I went to a, requested my fashion show tickets. And one of the 
very big brands that belongs to a very big conglomerate said, I have a fourth row seat for you. And I said, is there anything you can do? I'm the editor in chief of Vogue Mexico. And, you know, I don't want to sit in the fourth row. I've, I sat in the second row at, when I worked at W in New York. And she said, Mexico and Latin America are not priorities for us. And I said, okay. It's stuck into you. Thank you so much. I'll and see you down the road. <laughs> I told Jonathan Newhouse at that point when he was still very involved in, in Vogue. And he said to me, a Vogue editor doesn't sit in the fourth row. You're not going to that show. And you didn't I didn't go. And then I wrote an email, a very kind email saying, you know, just so you are aware, women, it's, it's, yes, it's a region and you might not have a huge presence there. But those women shop in Miami, they shop in Paris, they shop in Milan. One of the biggest customers of one of your competitors is a Mexican woman that comes to shop in Paris. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're not a priority territory for you is a terrible strategy. Very good. And like pretty woman, big mistake. I did. I, they invited me the following season and they gave me a front row seat. So you went, yeah, I went. Okay. She's diplomatic. <laughs> She's diplomatic and not a scorpion for real because if not, you put it on the list and we'll never, ever go back to them. But it's incredible how they have this misjudgment of there's so much money in Latin America and there's so much style. Carolina Herrera, Narciso Rodriguez, eh, you know, Maria Luisa Pumayu, Carolina Irving, they're all like you. You know, it's, I don't know why they have this, this stereotype or this wrong idea of Latinos coming from like, oh, being Indians. Uh, yeah. or I don't know. And that the Arabs, which they don't even dress, but I think, and they don't even pay good. They, they, they are well attended. Oh, bring Arabs because they arrive in a Rolls Royce. I don't know if it's it, it, people. And that's sometimes what it, it, it it's very this, um, deceiving or sometimes super sad that they, they, My mom taught me something at a very young age. Teach your kids to be happy and not the prices of things. Because when they grow up, they will lo learn the value and not exactly. just because of what it's uh, the price. I don't know why. And I mean, I think I, it happens, you know, the same with, with models, you know, in the same way, like we would ask for models and they would say, oh, it's not a priority territory for us. And with models, you understand it a little bit more because, for example, if they do Japan and Korea, they get a lot of the beauty campaigns and we don't have a lot of beauty based brands in Mexico and Latin America. So it's not like they're getting work out of okay. it. So that's a little bit, that's a whole other conversation, but I, you know, Hispanics are the second largest minority, I believe in the U S at this point and growing and, fastest and, growing, it, you know, fastest. growing. and you know, there, I feel like there's such a big opportunity to cater to the very diverse you know you see Selena Gomez now singing in Spanish and uh, um, and the, uh, the, what's this girl's name the, the one had the Netflix number one show which yeah is, uh, Jenna Ortega y, no y la otra que es colombiana Sofia Carson ah si 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 they're like killing it yeah and all of them are Latinos and generations of US Hispanic I think that also that has helped for um, you know the brands to work with more celebrities and more young talent like Diego Calva <laughs> Cal Cal sí, the yeah. one who did Luis Miguel. Yeah, and, uh, no, he, Diego's Diego. the one that is doing Babylon, and he just got. He Go is the pick. first Mexican nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Okay, 
Bueno, and all of that you have collaborated. I, I believe that in the fashion industry, you have d d created and formed a reputation of being super nice, of being kind, of, uh, of being hardworking, of being respected. And I'm sure you have found, as far as we've been speaking, uh, really good friends. Like, uh, it's, as you say, it's not, a not an easy industry, but nothing is an in easy industry. The politics, the corporate world. And exactly. you have been able to manage all of it. Uh, and in a way, you get to have this position, editor-in-chief of Vogue, Mexico, and Latin America, in a digital era. So you have a little bit more challenge. How to like, keep a magazine alive and keep a magazine interesting and profitable in an era that everybody's consuming content in right. with celebrities or who has the most Instagram followers. That's also why they're putting these people on their covers or Yes, their exactly. I think we're doing a good job of, you know, it's as you were asking me about Espacio Vogue, just different experiences, mm -hmm. first of all. I think, you know, three years ago we started doing, you know, kind of different experiences for the Vogue reader and I think before when I thought of a magazine it was like when I was younger I you know they I would read it and they would kind of dictate mm -hmm. right and now we're forming you know Vogue club and Vogue communities and newsletters and and we a want dialogue. people to be a part of of com the community of those fashion lovers those culture lovers and so the print part is obviously super important because I feel like that's where we get to do amazing shoots and tell stories and really kind of have more evergreen content you know something that you pick up the magazine in six months and you still want to read about it and then you have the digital part which is quick and you want mm. fast information and you it's more like trend driven and you know, that you have the different social media channels that all behave so differently. And, you know, that's been really interesting. But now, you know, this year we're going to close the year as the second Vogue behind U.S. of the wholly owned with the largest audience. And that's super exciting. Yes. Brava. Yeah. Brava. Um, so you don't stop. And those spaces, they like keep promoting our the, the culture. And how do you keep? Well, okay, keep telling me. No, no, no. I mean, no. I mean, I, I feel like that's been exciting because, you know, we have like readers in Mexico, in Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, uh, and the U.S. market, which is really interesting because then you see that, you know, like my mom living in El Paso, that she would cross the border by her hola. Yeah. People want to consume Spanish. <laughs> Spanish um, mom don't buy olas yeah. anymore just buy Vogue <laughs> she, she now has several subscriptions collection <laughs> this is my daughter I'm sure she's super proud <laughs> hijita <laughs> or vanidades Vani imagínate vanidades grupo Televisa no? yeah but she it, was a big uh, subscriber but they had a subscription model in the US you have a gossip kind of social yes. thing. We love the... And I think Spazio Bogues, in a very much elegant way, brings that part of artisan culture, sophistication, design, uh, girls, women from you know their societies and house to have a better home, to dress better, to feel... The self-esteem, and I, you know, people say like, you know, for me, the most attractive thing is in a woman is confidence. But they, they, they said that like, if you can want to achieve anything, you if you dress for it, you can achieve it. Yeah, and it's true. I believe that. I think that you always have to feel confident. I think that's my sister worked for Carolina Herrera, and you know, I think one of her biggest mottos was, you know, a woman 
doesn't wear fashion. She, you know, she wear she, the fashion shouldn't wear her. Mm-hmm. You know, style is about, you know, how the way you put things together and, and how it makes you feel. And, you know, she always looks impeccable, but she has her uniform and kind of sticks to it. And, and um, I think that the way clothes at least makes me feel, you know, when you're kind of like not having a good hair day, if you're wearing a dress you love, you automatically feel better, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the 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 dress, the shoes, there's something the ear. I don't know. I love jewelry, yeah. but uh, it's something about like you put something on that in in enlightens your 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 mood. And it doesn't have to be new, you know. I think for a long time, like there was an era, and like from 2014 to 2017 where I actually heard a friend of mine saying she didn't repeat outfits for Instagram and I was like that is not really silly and not sustainable (laughs) right so I think a lot of what we're trying to promote in at Vogue and this section that we have in Revogue and even someone like Anna Wintour who wore a Chanel vintage dress that she had to the White House a few weeks ago and that's a big statement. And, you know, we did, Valentina and I um, were doing observations on videos of street style around the world. And they did Berlin, Milan, um, Mexico City, and Paris. You can repeat. And every single person said, in, in one way or other, said, I bought this at a thrift store. This was my mom's. This is from, you know, like a fast fashion. This is from a shop. That kind of reuse, rewear is something that the new generation already has like ingrained. I am so happy for that. And we were talking about that, that every young kid, it's even more uh, uh, approaching thrift stores and uh, looking for purpose in wherever they're buying their products, whatever they eat, whatever they wear, whatever they buy their their needs or their basic things has to ha- come with a purpose or in a way that it's been reused and it's not something that is just new and fast fashion. Yeah. So we're very happy for that. You're making a really big difference and in I, the world. And I and kind of... Uh, sorry. No, no, no. No, Go. I always say like people are always like, what do you think about, you know, the lower priced like fast fashion brands. I'm like, sometimes, you know, I don't know. One of the girls in my office said to me once, you know, it's not inexpensive for some people. So I feel like even if you buy a $5,000 dress and wear it once, that doesn't make it just because it was $5,000. doesn't make that more sustainable. If you only wear it once. once, it's, you can buy something, I'm more about buying something that like now when I go into, you know, if I want to buy something at, you know, that's not so expensive and I'm looking for something quick for a party, I'm like, am I going to wear this again? Mm. And I kind of stop myself and say, and I feel like it doesn't matter how much it is. It's just how much use you're going to get out of it. And I have things in my closet that were, you know, $25 that I wear all the time. And then you have things that are more expensive that you wear all the time too. And I think that's the point. I think fast fashion is, I think like that, I I understand there's obviously some brands that are like really literally producing stuff for, you know, 50 cents in Bangladesh in an awful factory with horrible working conditions. That part I, I understand, but I also know that the prices of things is all relative, right? Like, you know, inexpensive means different things to different people. So I feel like if you wear buy a jacket that 
is $200 and you saved up for it, then, and you know, you're going to wear it a lot, then it's, it's, then you can buy one for $50 that you wear a million times. I feel like it's how much you wear and it's the propor- use you get it's, it's out of it. It's proportional. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's proportional. Know, yeah. It's relative, it's relative to, your, to whatever your budget is and whatever your, you, you know. You know, a lot of as these. As long as you're going to use it and not just leave it there in the closet, it doesn't matter if it's 5000 or 50 Exactly. You know, a lot of these resale shops, they sell things with tags on them. They do. No? Yeah, yeah. That people that buy, bought stuff that it never. It was kind of trendy, no? Touch, no, no, no. That never touched the item. But like, you saw a lot of people, I thought it was a trend that people will use the clothing with the tag, the show, the shoes, the jacket, you had the tag <laughs> on. Maybe because they wanted to send to it show to the real, how real. The, uh, the pride, maybe. Um, but yeah, there's certainly people that like, it's like disposable, you know, and, and I guess that doesn't make it any better than, you know, just because it was, it was expensive, but it's unreal how people like are, you know, can just buy a pair of shoes and sit in your closet for five years you never wear it do you hoarder things uh, yeah i mean i no, i'm horrible i need to probably get rid of more stuff but i i'm very so i bought this with blah, 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 blah. Yeah. my aunt gave me this blah, blah, blah. Well, this, the skirt from maria luisa <laughs> the skirt from maria luisa the pierre hardy shoes from maria luisa like some bags i'm like okay i'm gonna want this for my daughter i was talking to my friend's mom today and she was telling me about. She's don't like, I had give to buy. them away, please. My mom was like, "Hi, I gave that one away to this." And I, I was know, like, I exactly, can't. exactly. Remember when the DVF dresses came back, the wrap dresses, yeah. and my mom was like, "Ah, yo tenía como cinco." I'm like, "What? <laughs> What'd you do with them?" And she was like, "I gave them away." So now, I'm strategic. Like, if I know I'm, it's you know, I really don't want it, then I will maybe do resale. But if not, I'll give it to my cousin. And if I ever need it back, I'm like, ah, yeah. uh, no. El que regale quita el diablo lo visita. Eso no se hace. Give it to my cousin. Now you can't give the things away and then ask for them for <clears throat> back. Like, prima. But this is such an amazing conversation. One more tea? What time is it? Carla, it's time has flied. My God, your kids. Bueno, it's... It's uh, I'm super honored to have this conversation with you. I think we're going to have to take take two and take three. Yeah, and, and the um, new year. The new, new stuff. After the new year, Carla Martinez-Salas, editor-in-chief of Vogue Mexico and Latin America, the most incredible Latina, promoting power, beauty, style, widening our our borders of beauty and, um, and what women can do and not do. We're going to have exclusive content for all of you in the community that has subscribed. This is our last podcast of 2022 at the Zing. Thank you for making it. Mira, the most top 10 listened podcast in Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And if you're in YouTube watching this beauty to see how she dresses and how to have Thank style you. 24 hours a day, work, mom, wife, chingona. Thank you, thank you. Maravillosa. Thank you for sharing with all of us. We're going to talk a little um, brief questions for the exclusive content. I love you guys. Thank you. Happy New Year. Much love. Es el Día de los Inocentes. Yay. ¿Qué hora son? Toma, te regalas el reloj. Sí, me regalas el reloj. Te regalo el reloj por aquí, por Navidad, por Christmas. Ay, muchas gracias. Viste. Such a wonderful gift. No seas mensa. No seas mensa, que son míos. Te regalo el reloj, pero afuera está que le esperan los choros. Thank you. And she's coming to Venezuela. Nos vemos muy pronto, chaval. Yes, you have to plan a trip. Absolutely, to the Amazons, the land where I was born. Los quiero. Beso. Feliz año. Feliz año. Woo!